0: This morning, our text comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, and uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 13. Luke, chapter 4, and beginning in verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from there, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Lord God, we live as Christians with an enemy. An enemy who seeks... To trip us up, to cause us to wonder, to keep us from the straight and narrow, and to tempt us into the path of destruction. Heavenly Father, I pray today that as we read from your word, as we see the example of your son, as we are filled with your spirit, God, that we may bring glory and honor to you, God, depending upon you as you lead us to overcome temptation, Father, make us closer to you, make us better soldiers in your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Today's sermon is entitled, The Truth About Temptation." And we absolutely positively need the truth about temptation because Satan's main enemy is lies. The Bible tells us that he is the father of all lies. That's how he works. He works with lies. Now, he's not afraid to squeeze in a little bit of truth in there or even sometimes a lot of truth. But he'll manipulate that truth. He'll spin that truth. He'll distort that truth until he can get it to a place where it's just off enough to make us sin and to get us away from God. see, the reality is when we know the truth, the deceptions of Satan lose their power. If we know the truth and we practice the truth, then Satan's lies, his temptations, uh, cannot harm us. But if we are unaware... Uh, if we are ignorant, if we are careless, if we are lax in our Christian faith, then the devil who is constantly, the Bible says, fire, fiery arrows at us, he is gunning for us, he is aiming for us to take us down all the time, then, we, then we're going to experience defeat in our Christian life. So you and I need to learn and we need to practice the truth about temptation. Now, our, uh, there are more than one sources of temptation, you could say, or at least we have more than one enemy. The, uh, the Bible teaches us in different places. Not, there's not one verse that says this, but in many different places, it talks about our enemies, and we basically have three enemies, uh, we, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the world has to do with uh, the, not just the physical earth, but it has to do with society as it has been tainted by sin. And, and society often is going, because we live in a fallen world, a sinful world, we're going to fall into peer pressure, social pressure, the ideas that are put out in our culture that tell us to do wrong. So that's the world. Then there's the flesh. That doesn't mean that your physical body is evil. The flesh represents the things that are of the old nature. God has given us a new nature. He has recreated us in Christ Jesus. Uh, our, Our spirit is alive because of Christ, but we still live in the flesh. That is, we still have sinful impulses and desires because we have not yet received that resurrection body that we're going to have one day. And we experience conflict. We won't experience that conflict because our spirit and our bodies will be in total alignment. We'll completely want to, to glorify God, and that's all we're going to do forever. But right now, while we have a spirit of God put within us, and, and, and that spirit wants to do what's right, we also have the flesh And the flesh tempts us. It's our own self-destructive, dangerous desires that come from us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? Those are our three main enemies. Adrian Rogers put it this way. Uh, We have an internal foe. That's the self. We have an external foe. uh, That is the world. And we have an infernal foe. That's Satan. But however you want to put it, those are the three main foes. And one of them, though, is highly personal. And that is Satan. And so we're going to talk about the truth of, of temptation first, and we're going to look at this two ways. First of all, we're going to look at the source of this temptation, and that's Satan. And then we're going to come back and we're going to look at uh, the, the deliverance, the source of our deliverance, and that's God. But let's, let's talk for a minute about Satan and, and how he behaves, how he acts, how he works on us. So the first thing I want us to think about is that temptation is inevitable, Temptation is inevitable, okay? You and I are all going to face temptation. That should be a no brainer. That should be a big duh moment. That should be a we know that, okay? But the reality is many Christians act when a temptation comes along and they stumble into it and they fall. Oh, man, they act like, what hit me? Where did that come from? I am so shocked and I'm so amazed that, that somebody was out to get me. Absolutely. If you think somebody's out to get you, you're right. Now, it may not be that neighbor or that family member or that co-worker, but the devil is out to get you. He can't make you sin, but he will do all that he can to entice you to sin, to seduce you into sin. Look, think of it this way. He tempted Jesus. He tempted the perfect son of God. See, the devil is full of himself. The Bible talks about not only he's a liar, but he's full of pride. And he thinks if anybody could get Jesus to sin, it was him. And he tried to work on the son of God himself. That's how full of himself Satan is. So look, if if he was going to try it on Jesus, he sure enough going to try it on you. Okay, you're not going to get out of being tempted. You are going to experience it. So temptation is inevitable, and you and I need to be prepared. We need to be mentally alert. The Bible talks, tells us, and Peter tells us, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, for the devil is walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's what the devil does. And so we need to be ready. Second of all, temptation is malicious. Temptation is malicious. I want you to know that Satan's not out to be your buddy. Satan is not out to be your friend. He's not out to give you a good time. See, in popular culture, those who acknowledge Satan will often act like, well, yeah, you know, the devil's stuff, that's that's good. I mean, the devil's trying to have fun. These religious people, God, they're trying to stop us from having fun. You know, I want to live like the devil. That is, I want to enjoy myself. And that's what many people think. The devil's not out to help you. He's not your buddy. He's not your pal. He's not your friend. He has nothing but malice towards you. He has nothing but spite and anger towards you. Why is that? Because you were created in God's image and he was not. And because he defies God and he can't believe that God who created these these angels and their magnificence, that he would actually, God would send himself in the form of a human being. It drives him crazy. Satan can't stand humans. He hates us. He wants to spoil God's plan for us. And we've got to understand that he's out to get us. You see, uh, Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan is never out to help you. He is always out to destroy you. But Jesus has come that you might have life. Satan attacks when you are most vulnerable. You know, he knows the vulnerabilities of mankind. He knows them all in general. Um, Throughout Scripture, but especially in uh, John 2.16, the Bible speaks of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, what does that mean? First of all, we have to clear up something. Lust does not always have to do with sexual desire. In the Bible, lust can mean any strong desire, and context tells you whether that's a sinful desire and what kind of desire it is, all right? He says the lust of the flesh, he's talking about any physical bodily type desire, anything that would lead you to sin, um, let's just say you were hungry, all right? And uh, you saw somebody else's food, their lunch, and you stole it. That would be lust of the flesh. That would be you took something of someone else to satisfy your fleshly or, or your bodily desire. Then there's the lust of the eyes. That is covetousness. That is, that is looking on others' things and wanting them. That is trying to see the th- all the things that look pretty, all the things that are sparkly and shiny in this world, and I want more stuff. That's what the lust of the eyes is. And then the pride of life. That's about being puffed up, being prideful, being arrogant, um, everybody you know, being the one that gets all the attention. Now, why am I bringing these three things up? Well, because scholars and preachers long before me have noticed that Jesus' three temptations align perfectly with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In other words, Satan hit Jesus with the old standards. Jesus didn't have any moral weaknesses, okay, like we do. Satan could look at us in our lives, and, and he could say, well, I know that they're prone to weakness in this area, and they fall into sin in this area, And he didn't have any specifics like that on Jesus because Jesus never sinned. So he said, let me pull out my basic blueprint for war against humans. And so there was that lust of the flesh because... Jesus, in one of the Bible's greatest understatements, says he fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. Y'all like, kind of like Becky said, I mean, if it's 930 and I don't get my snack, whoo, hangers coming on, you know. I mean, he was for 40 days had not ate or drank anything. And he was there and he was so hungry. I mean, can you imagine how tempted he'd be be, be able to do anything? And, and, and he's talking about this bread, you know. For me, I'm thinking about a Hardy's biscuit. You know, that it was just right there smelling so good, looking so good. If you just do what I tell you to do, you can have that hot, warm sausage biscuit, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you know, uh, it's more than about bread alone. Life is about every word that proceeds from the mouth of my Father God. And so that was that lust of the flesh, that physical desire thing. Then there was the lust of the eyes, okay? So he, he takes in I mean, and he shows them all the kingdoms of the world. See, all the pretty stuff. And, 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 and you could have all this. And then there was the pride of life. You know, Jesus, if you'll just bow down before me and worship me, I can get everybody else to worship you. Now, here's the interesting thing. We're tempted most of the time. Our temptations are things that we don't have a right to in the first place. Jesus actually had a right to all these things. He owned the earth. So he was to be, should be worshipped by all mankind. Uh, He should be guarded by angels. And, you know, all of these different things he was tempted to. But here's the thing. Jesus was tempted to take a shortcut. Jesus was tempted to go after the right thing in the wrong way. He was tempted to take things into his hand and in his timing rather than God's timing. Remember in the Old Testament, David? David was anointed as a young teenage boy. He, he went on then to, to slay the giant Goliath and he won many victories, and, and Saul, the king, got jealous. And he couldn't wait to take David out. And he had not one but two different opportunities where he would not take Saul out as king. He would wait on the Lord's timing. He said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. In other words, even though God has already promised me this, even though I, I know uh, from, his, from a certain viewpoint he could have said I deserve this or this is going to be mine, I'm not going to give in temptation by getting ahead of God's timetable. I'm not going to take action. I'm not going to take things into my hands. I'm going to leave it to God. And that's the kind of temptation because Jesus, again, he was owed all of these things. The glory, the power, the honor, all of it belonged to him. And yet in God's timetable, he was to come as a suffering servant. And he was to suffer Uh, persecution, and he was to go to the cross, and then he would be glorified. And there's an even greater glory coming when the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have we have these basics. Satan knows, though, about those basic patterns, these basic weaknesses. But then he also knows our particular weaknesses. Now, I'm not. Satan's not all-knowing like God is. Don't get, don't get that wrong. God knows everything. Satan doesn't know everything, but he knows a lot. Because he and his minions, he, he and his demons, uh, they're going around, the Bible says, seeking whom they can devour. And so they do a lot of looking and, and watching and testing and intelligence gathering. And so Satan knew... That Jesus was extremely hungry. So, so there was a particular physical weakness, not a moral weakness, but a physical weakness. Guess what? I don't know about you guys, but I am slightly more, and there's, this is another, this is an understatement on my part, slightly more tempted to be ugly, to sin, to say bad words or say bad things when I don't feel good, when things don't go my way. When I went to the beach and shock, shock, surprise, surprise, I get a sunburn instead of a tan. When those things happen to me, I am more likely to be ugly with people, to be demanding, to be rude, to do the wrong thing, and to not think of others' well-being. Satan knows these things. He knows when you're going through a stressful time at work. He knows when your marriage is on the rocks. He knows when your health is questionable. He knows all these things, okay? And he will try to use them against you. So we need to understand that, that he's looking for our weaknesses. If you sometimes say, I just can't get a break. I'm sorry, you know what? Satan doesn't give breaks. He doesn't play fair. He doesn't play nice. But you know something else about this time of temptation and this may be counterintuitive to a lot of us, but, but hang with me here. Satan knew Jesus had just gone through a spiritual high. See, Jesus, this passage of temptation, follows the baptism of Jesus. It comes immediately after it. There's the baptism, and then, then Luke tells us a little bit about uh, the genealogy of Jesus, and it goes, then it's straight into this story. Talk about a spiritual high. There was Jesus being baptized, the Spirit descends upon him. He hears his father saying, This is my son, and whom I am well pleased. I mean, you can't get much more mountaintop than that. You can't get much more spiritually intense than that. You know what i found in life is that many times after the mountain, <laughs> we brought back down the, to the valley. Uh, we are on this cliff almost. Lots of times we're at a high point, and then all of a sudden, whew, It's over with. And I don't know if it's adrenaline. I I don't know if it's pride. I don't know. Maybe a mixture of all these things. But we can be riding high, and the next thing you know, Satan, while we think everything is great, can slip in a temptation on us. And so I want to warn you, not only when everything is going wrong in your life, but also when everything is going right in your life, be very, very careful that you don't get complacent and think, I've got this God thing down. I've got this spiritual thing down. Because that's exactly when Satan wants to tempt you. In fact, the Bible says, um, you know, at the end of the whole thing, when Jesus defeated him, the Bible says Satan left until a more opportune time. In other words, he didn't say, oh, Jesus has defeated me. It's over forever. Satan... uh, He's the eternal optimist in one sense of the word. That is, he keeps on trying. He's not going to take down God's plans in his church, but he thinks he can because he's deluded. And so even when you defeat him, eh, okay, I won't bother you. You're strong right now, but I'm going to come back the next time you're weak or prideful when you're in the valley or when you're on the mountain. Whenever it is, it's going to be easier to tempt you and bring you down. That's when I'll come back and try to tempt you again. Third, about Satan and his temptation, that temptation is predictable. Temptation is predictable. You know, Satan follows a basic pattern, a a basic plan of attack, and it's really these things we've already been talking about. He lies, he deceives, he manipulates, he preys on us in our weakness. But, you know, we have Satan's playbook. The Bible tells us if we'll just get in his word and, and listen to it and read it, he tells us how Satan operates. He reveals the whole game plan. Y'all, this is a big deal. You know, that's, that's why just uh, all it takes is if we knew a little bit about what the enemy was doing, you know, it, it's a big deal. I mean, think about the some of the controversies in football, deflate gate. You know, what a big deal it was because a ball had a little less or more air in it. And think about before that when the Patriots got in trouble because they were spying on other people's playbooks. I mean, people will do in the sports world, in the business world, anything to just get a slight advantage. And the Bible's went gone ahead and laid out Satan's playbook for us. But it doesn't do us any good if we ignore it. See, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, for we are not unaware. We are not ignorant of his schemes. And he was talking about the devil. We know Satan's plans. I'll never forget. I don't know. This is my Adrian Rogers week or something. But another thing I heard Adrian Rogers say years and years ago, he read this passage. He says, we are not unaware of his schemes. And he said, oh, yes, we are. What do you you mean? Are you arguing with the Bible? No, he wasn't arguing with the Bible, but what he meant was that while the church at large, that we have Satan's schemes, we understand, we have his playbook, we know how he's going to attack us. As individual Christians, we are often ignorant of Satan's schemes because we have not studied God's word. We have not looked at God's plan of attack, how we are to defend ourselves, and how we are to fight the Christian fight. So you and I need to know that this uh, temptation that comes from Satan, and you can remember these points as IMP, because Satan's an IMP. Inevitable, malicious, and predictable. But let's think about now the source of our deliverance. How do we escape from these things? And that's God. We look to God for our deliverance. Now, I don't have a little acronym like IMP for this one, but, but I just, it's real easy to think of we know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so just think about these things, how we look to God as three persons, as the Trinity for our plan, our source of deliverance to get out of these things. The first of all, the first thing we do is we pray to the Father. We pray to the Father. What did we do earlier on in this service? And we do just about every Sunday. We said, our Father who art in heaven. And we prayed some other things, and we went on and we read the words, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And every time we pray that prayer, if we're not just doing it out of a rote memory, but if we're really thinking about it and meaning it, we're saying, God, I'm weak, but you're strong. God, I know I'm not good with temptation. I need your protection, God. I need you to deliver me from the evil one. Now, listen, God is going to, at times, just let's let's not ignore the fact that the Bible says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit where he would be tempted by Satan. This did not surprise God, the Father. He he did not say, oh, that's not what I meant to do. No, he knew exactly what he was doing. And God will, at times, bring us into temptation, but he will not tempt us. James 1.13 says, let no one say when they're, be temp- they're being tempted that God has tempted me. And James says, because God does, doesn't tempt anyone, but rather it's Satan and it's our, the evil desires. Those, God doesn't tempt us, but what God does is he allows us to be in situations where we, they are tempted. And you're saying, well, are, are you just playing with words or are you just splitting a fine hair? There's a total difference because in, uh, in intention. Satan, remember, is out to steal and kill and destroy. Satan will put you through temptation because he wants to take you down. God will lead you into circumstances in life and lead you into valleys where you will be tempted. But he will be with you and his intent is to strengthen you so that you will grow in your faith and you will overcome the evil one. And so God allows you in situations to come into these things. But don't ever get cocky. Don't ever think, well, hey, I beat that temptation pretty good. I want some more. Bring it on. No, Jesus said our prayer should be, Lord, lead us not into temptation, God. In other words, unless you just have to do it, unless it's just your will, I'd readily prefer to avoid the temptation, but God, I know I need you to deliver me from the evil one. I need you to rescue me from the temptation that I face. So we pray to the Father. Then we we focus on the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We focus on the Son. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet He did not sin. There is no sin, the Bible says, that is not common to man. One of the greatest lies that Satan tells believers is when we get in a situation and we're tempted, we say, you know, preacher, you just don't understand. I, I know what the command is, but this particular circumstance, this little issue I'm going through, I mean, nobody, know, nobody understands. Woe is me. Poor me. This is different. This is an exception. And the Bible says, Nope no temptation we face is other than one that is common to man. In other words, Satan's been using the same tricks, the same temptations since back in the garden. In the very beginning, yeah, he has some variations on the basic plays. Yeah, he mixes them up and he he polishes them and makes them look different. But the same basic temptations, you and I are not exceptions, no matter how much we want to say, well, I know, but mine is different. No, it's not. It's not. The same basic things. And the author of Hebrews says, we have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he faced every temptation, every type and sort of temptation that we face, and yet he did not sin. And so, again, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We focus on him. We look to him as our example of how we can keep walking in a way that pleases God. And then third, of course, we come to the spirit. You and I are to depend on the spirit. See, I love, 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 love uh, 1 John 4, 4, where John is the elderly apostle. He was old by this time. And in fact, he talked to his congregation as little children. See, I'm not old enough to do that. Maybe when I'm 80 one day and get up in the pulpit, I'll look out and I'll say, little children, listen to me. But I'm not there yet. But he was that, he was old. I don't know if he was 80, but he was real old. And we know that when he wrote these letters and he'd say, talk to little children, listen up. And he said this in 1 John 4, 4, he said, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world oh what a promise what a source of strength what a source of power that we rely on the holy spirit you see this is the, this is kind of the ultimate my dad can beat up your dad, okay? We have a father in heaven who is stronger than the father of lives who is here on this earth. And so maybe, maybe the temptations of life try to bully us. They try to threaten us. The storms, the waves of life try to smash us against the rocks. And we think, I, I'm going to be destroyed. But then we remember, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so no matter what you come up against, you have a more powerful ally than the world does. There is a dependence on the Spirit of God. The Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit when he entered into that place, into that wilderness. His stomach was empty, but his spirit was full. And that's why he could say life is more than just about bread, but it's about God's word because he, dispen- he, he received the spirit of God as it came upon him. And by the way, I've I mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. I'm one of those that believe that in, a, in a Philippians chapter two, when it talks about Jesus emptying himself, I believe that Jesus let go of every supernatural power that he had when he came to this earth. And so I believe that every supernatural thing he did, from, from miracles to healings to anything he did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because if we look at Jesus and we say, Yeah, he's our example, but I mean, he was God. He had God powers. Of course, he could be nice. Of course, he could forgive. Of course, of course he could be generous and kind. But if we say, He let go of all those God powers, He emptied himself, as the Bible says, so then he could refill himself with the power of the Holy Spirit, then he is indeed the perfect example for us, that no matter what we face, it's bigger than us, but it's smaller than God. And so we can rely and we can depend on the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you today to get in your mind the reality that there is an enemy. He's an enemy who the Bible says is, is firing flaming arrows. He's an enemy who, like a lion, is, is roaring, is prowling to see who he may devour. But greater is he who's in you. Okay? But I also want to say this. While you understand temptation and you, and you learn how to fight against it and how to defend against it, I want to acknowledge the fact that there's some of you in here today, maybe all of you, if you're being honest, are saying, whew, whew. I wish I'd heard that message back when. I wish I had read that passage of the Bible before I did that. I, I-, I wish I'd really got it before I said that. And-, and there can be this sense of regret, this sense of, yeah, I can do better now, but I've got so much in my past, so many failures. And that's why, where we are so encouraged by the grace of God. You see, we sang, we call out to dry bones, come alive, come alive. And that song comes from Ezekiel chapter 37, where the Spirit of God took the prophet Ezekiel out to this valley. And he went back and forth and showed him this huge valley. And this valley was nothing full of nothing but death old dry bones where some great battle of armies had taken place and and there weren't even any buzzards left. I mean, the meat was all picked off the bones. It was nothing but bones, nothing but death and destruction. And the Spirit of God spoke to Ezekiel and he says, Son of man, can these dry bones live again? I think we would say the right answer would be, yes, Lord, yes. (laughs) Ezekiel was a little more cautious. He said, only you know, Lord only you know if these bones can live again and then God commanded him son of man speak to these bones speak to these bones prophesy to these bones tell them to come to life to live again and his point was throughout all the things he had warned the people of Israel about and all of their failure and all their faults and all the judgment they went through he said I'm not done with you yet because some of you Israelites, you, you believers in me, you're really living in the dumps now. You're saying, man, I screwed it up. Man, I lost it all. Man, I didn't, I didn't live the way I should have when temptation comes along. And now you're depressed and you're, you've given up. And God says, I can make dry bones come to life again. I bring beauty from ashes. I make all things new. Satan would love nothing else. If he can't get you to ignore the truth about temptation, he'd love to to shackle you in sin and shame and guilt. And he'd love to keep you there. But God says, I'll make dry bones live again. I'll bring good things. I'll bring new things. I have a hope and a future for you. Avoid temptation. Look at what God has to say. Walk with God and don't give in to the temptation. But guess what? We're all going to do so sometimes. And when you do, don't stay there. Just like Peter took his eyes off Jesus and put them on the waves. And you start sinking. Be like Peter to look back to him and say, save me, Lord. And Christ will lift you up. And he'll pull you out. And he'll bring grace and mercy and peace into your life again. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we struggle through this world. We face temptations of many kinds. Temptations to gratify our desires, our physical desires. Uh, Temptations to justify ourselves in front of others. Temptations of, of power and of stuff, to accumulate more and more and more. And all of these things come at us at the worst of times. And so, God, we're thankful that you're there always at the best of times and the worst of times. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. You never leave us or forsake us. God, help us to turn our eyes to you, to come to you in prayer and humility, to follow the example of your Son, to live in the power of your Spirit. Lord, be with us now in this time as we respond to you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.